Okay, let's turn to uh, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Today we're going to talk about the danger of drawing back. The dangers of drawing back. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. What's the opposite of drawing back? Going forward. Going forward. Amen. Hallelujah. Moving forward in faith. Amen. Verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Let's say this out loud. We are not of them who draw back. Amen. We're believers. We're faith people. And we're not ashamed who knows it. Amen. We let people... We're not ashamed of those who know it. Amen. We let people judge... If they want to judge us, they can, but we're not ashamed. And we're affecting other people to become faith people. Amen? That's what we were just talking about. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So as soon as he uh, warns us about not drawing back in unbelief, he immediately begins to talk about faith. And this entire chapter talks about what faith has done in the lives of uh, individuals uh, and even uh, how their lives affected entire nations. But here in Hebrews 10, he's warning us about not drawing back in unbelief. Now turn back a few pages to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now this is referring to the first generation of Israelites that were delivered out of Egypt. And God went to great lengths to get those people out of there. But God has gone to even greater lengths to deliver us. Amen? He's gone to even greater lengths. God said to Moses, Pharaoh is not going to let you go unless uh, he's forced to let you go. So what did God do? He forced Pharaoh to let them go, didn't he? Yeah. He said the only way he's going to let you go is if he's forced to, so God forced him to let them go. And by the time God was finished, they were glad to see them go. I mean, they said, please go. Here's a bag of gold. Here's a bag of silver, and here's all my diamonds and jewelry. Just get out of here. Amen? Praise God. And the Bible says there was not one feeble one among them in millions of people. And that in itself was a miracle because these people had been mistreated all their lives. They have been beaten up. They had broken bones that had never had medical attention. You know, all kinds of things. They had no natural medical care. So God supernaturally healed them. There was not a feeble one among them. They were all ready to go and had money in their pocket. And God had already handpicked a, a land and prepared it in advance for them. And what was supposed to happen was they were supposed to just pass through the wilderness learn some faith lessons and some obedience lessons and, and just pass on through there 
and step right into the promised land. But they never did. It never did happen. And this is what Hebrews 4.1 is talking about because they did not mix faith with the word of God and it did not benefit them. Verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God had predetermined. He had already made provision for these people from the foundation of the world that they were to enter, they were to live in this land. It was God's will and his plan. Verse 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in. Uh, why did they enter not in? The rest of that verse. It was first preached to them. It was first preached uh, to them, but they entered not in because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. That's why they didn't enter in because of unbelief. Verse 9, There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. Uh, we're not going to turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 6 describes this land, houses they did not build, uh, vineyards they did not plant, wells they did not dig, and after all the abuse and neglect and mistreatment, that they suffered in Egypt, they were supposed to go into that land and just say, hallelujah, we're home. Amen? That's what God wanted to happen. And the rest in the promised land is a type of rest for the body of Christ. So when it comes to the promises of God, it's not a matter of working for it. It's a matter of resting in it. Hallelujah. God never intended for us to bear the weight of our own provision. Jesus has restored us back to the Garden of Eden where Adam didn't have to think about his provision. So even though we're diligent in our labors for the Lord and what our assignment is here on the earth, he doesn't want us toiling and struggling in our own efforts to pay bills and to provide for ourselves. Everybody say, I'm not the provider. God's the provider. The life of faith is the life of rest. Verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So we're not supposed to live by worrying and pushing and struggling to make things happen. Verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if you just look back across the page there in Hebrews 3, uh, 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 12 says, Take heed. Today we wouldn't, we wouldn't say take heed. What would we say in, in our language today? Watch out, wouldn't we? Watch out. Look out, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So here he mentions unbelief. And over in chapter 4, uh, we saw unbelief mentioned in verse 6. 
And he mentioned unbelief again in verse 11. So it's unbelief that he's telling us to watch out for. Now the Bible talks about two kinds uh, of unbelief. We know there are two things that Jesus marveled at. Faith and unbelief. Those are the two things the Bible says that, that Jesus was amazed when he saw people's faith and when he saw their unbelief. You know the, the faith of the centurion when he said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word only. The Bible says Jesus marveled at his faith because he was not even a covenant man. He says, I haven't even seen that kind of faith in church people. And it, Jesus was amazed, uh, amazed at it. And he was amazed at the unbelief of the people in his own hometown. There's unbelief that's caused by, uh, you know, just ignorance. Uh, if you've never heard, you don't know. And that's one type of unbelief. It's just as a result of ignorance. You can't believe what you've never heard. The second type of ignorance uh, is much more serious, and that's uh, unbelief that's a result of uh, not being persuaded. You, you cannot be persuaded to believe, and this is much more serious, and this is a type of unbelief that Hebrews is telling us to watch out for. Uh, in Mark 6, verse 6, in the voice translation, it says, He was amazed by the stubbornness of their unbelief. This is a stubborn refusal to believe. Uh, you know, Mary Magdalene was the first one at the tomb on resurrection morning. She personally saw Jesus. She personally talked to Jesus. And she ran to tell the disciples that she had seen him and talk to him. And did they say, Hallelujah, praise God? <laughs> no, they didn't believe a word, she said. They didn't believe, they didn't believe her. And the same day Jesus appeared to the disciples when Thomas was not there. Uh, and later when the disciples told Thomas that they had seen Jesus, they had personally seen and talked to him. Thomas refused to believe. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his side and see those holes in his hands. So he could not be persuaded to believe eyewitness testimonies. So this is a kind of uh, serious kind of unbelief uh, that Hebrews is talking about. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.2 says, All men have not faith. Uh, what some people call faith is actually a religion or a denomination. People will say, you know, what faith are you? Well, I belong to the Buddhist faith, or I belong to the Muslim faith, or I belong to the atheist faith. Uh, they'll say, yes, I have faith. I've been to the Baptist church all my life. I've been to the Anglican church all my life. I have faith. This is not Bible faith. Bible faith is the God kind of faith that Jesus talked about in Mark 11, 22 to 24. Faith that speaks to the mountains and obstacles of life and commands them to be removed. Faith that calls things that are not as though they were. Faith that believes you receive when you pray. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is Bible faith. Let's say this together. I live by faith. I walk by faith. The God kind of faith. The way God operates. Amen. So when people say, I have faith, but it's not working, uh, that's not the way faith talks. And you can see how subtle it is to get over into unbelief because we live in a world surrounded by unbelief. Unbelievers, Christians, 
TV, news, family, friends. All you have to do is just relax for a few minutes. <laughs> and it's easy to get caught up in it. I heard Charles Capp's wife say she went to visit a relative once and within five minutes she suddenly realized she was agreeing with everything this uh, relative said, you know, oh my aches and pains and oh, you know, this problem and that problem and she was sitting there agreeing with everything she said and it suddenly, you know, the Holy Spirit suddenly quickened to her, you don't believe that and she's had to catch herself and jerk herself out of that. She said, I don't, you know, I'm not agreeing with this, I don't believe that. So it's very, um, it's very subtle and very easy to get caught up in this unbelief. So you don't have to agree with everything everybody else says. Amen? Especially when it's unbelief. So you don't have to be nasty about it. You know, don't be nasty about it. But you don't have to, you know, uh, just let them talk and change the subject. Amen? Praise God. Get it back over on the Word. Hebrews 3 and 4 here is referring back to this first generation of Israel that came out of Egypt. And in Numbers 13, which we'll turn to later, it talks about the ten leaders who brought back an evil report. It was an evil report of unbelief. That's why it was called an evil report. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we're, we're supposed to encourage one another and help each other. And that's what we're doing when we come here, really. But, but you're, we're not just limited to here. You know, we're to exhort one another daily. You know somebody's believing for something. You know somebody's having a hard time. You know, they're, they're struggling with something. Send them a text. Send them an email. You know, pick up the phone. Uh, say, remind me how healed I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> remind me how blessed I am. And just keep feeding them the word till you start hearing amen, come back on the other end. Amen? So that's, that's, why, uh, that's why we're here to, to get built up on the word is so that we can also encourage and help one another. We're to exhort one another daily. You know, remind people, you know, how God provided for them the last time. Remind them, you're a tither. You have tither's rights, you know. Come on, let's believe. Amen? So that's what we do when we exhort one another daily. Verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we have to stay with it until we get what we're believing for. So however long you've been standing, you're just that much closer to it. Hallelujah. Verse 15, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, that's the second time he said, harden not your hearts. Uh, in this chapter. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. So what provoked God? These people, uh, they had seen God bring the strongest nation in the world to its knees. They had seen God part the Red Sea, and they walked through on dry ground, didn't even get their shoes muddy. They saw fresh water come out of a rock in the middle of a desert, enough for millions of people to have plenty of water. They saw God fly in, UPS, you know, food, uh, provision for them. So these, these people were not ignorant, okay? This, this is not the type of unbelief we talked about where you've never seen, you've never heard, and you just don't know. These people had seen. I mean, they had seen what no other generation had ever seen God do. So, you know, for them to say now they're in the will, now they're out of Egypt, 
and they're ready to go into the promised land, for them to say, well, I just don't know how God's going to do this, you know, that was, that was uh, unbelief, wasn't it? They had the capacity to believe. And Joshua and Caleb went to the same land. They saw the same giants. They saw the same walled cities that the other ten men saw. But they had a different perspective. They said, God is with us. He'll give us the land. We can do it. Amen? So when God says, I've got something bigger and better for you, and you've seen him perform his word and answer your prayers of faith over and over, we shouldn't be saying, I just don't know how God's going to do this. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. I just don't know if God could do that. Amen. So Joshua and Caleb went to the same land, and they tried to persuade the people. But it made the people so mad, they tried to kill them. They picked up rocks to kill them. Did these people realize they were in unbelief? No. Did they realize they were in error? No. You see how subtle this can, how subtle you can get into unbelief. Write this down. People who want to stay in unbelief. People who want to stay in unbelief find people of faith unbearable. Isn't that what happened to Joshua and Caleb? They were in faith, and those people found them to be unbearable. They wanted to kill them when they came back and said, we can do this. The people wanted to kill them. So people who want to stay in unbelief find people of faith unbearable. They don't want to hear a good testimony. They didn't want to hear how good the land is. They didn't want to see the grapes. They didn't want to hear the stories about the fields and the rivers and the valleys and the beautiful houses and vineyards. They didn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear how you got healed. They don't want to hear how God got you a new car. They don't want to hear how, God, how big God is if they want to stay in unbelief. If they want to stay in unbelief, it makes them mad. Classic examples, the Pharisees found Jesus to be unbearable. The Pharisees and, and teachers of the law found Jesus unbearable. They absolutely could not abide him. They were constantly trying to discredit and, and ruin the reputation of his ministry. How did they react? They saw blind eyes open. This is another, this is not unbelief because you don't know. They saw blind eyes open. They saw limbs, arms come back and legs come back where they'd been missing. Uh, deaf ears open. People who had never walked, walked. Things generations had never seen. It made them mad. They weren't ignorant. They, they had a stubborn refusal to believe. They were not ignorant. They were seeing what no other generation had, had seen. And you know what they did? They said, by whose authority do you do these things? Why don't your disciples wash their hands? You can't heal on the Sabbath. That was their response to the miracles of Jesus. They wanted to stay in unbelief. That's not the way we do it in our denomination. Hallelujah. Hebrews 3.17 But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? It was not the will of God for them to die in the wilderness. The wilderness symbolizes a dry survivalist 
existence. Do you suppose there are any Christians today just trying to exist and survive? Say out loud, we're not surviving. We're thriving. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Hallelujah. It, does it say they couldn't enter in because they didn't have the money? No. no? Does it say they couldn't enter in because they didn't have the education? No. no? They didn't have the right color skin? No? They weren't born in the right country. If I just lived in America, you know, or so I've had people tell, say that to me, you know, I want to go to America like the devil's not in America. You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, he's going to be waiting for you when you get there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Praise God. So it wasn't the things on the outside that was keeping them out. It's what was on the inside that was keeping them out. Yes, there were giants in the land. It was a fact. Joshua and Caleb didn't deny that. Yes, cancer is bigger than a headache. That's a fact. 750,000 pounds is bigger than 500 pounds. That's a fact. There are thousands of reasons, you know, that the devil will tell you why you can't have something or you can't do something if you believe it and accept it. So this is why unbelief is very sneaky and subtle. And this is why Hebrews is warning us to watch out for it. And this is why we need a daily injection of faith. So when your faith begins to rise up and somebody says, I'm sorry, but you don't have the right qualifications. I'm sorry, but there's nothing else we can do for you. This is incurable. I'm sorry, you're too old. I'm sorry, you're too young. What do we do? You just smile and let those words just roll off your back. Just, just let them roll off of you like water off of a duck. Amen? And you say, like Paul, None of these things move me. Let's say that out loud. None of these things move me. Amen. Hallelujah. That's faith talk. Hallelujah. So you're still completely convinced that it's yours and you're getting it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's say this out loud. I am not of those... That draw back in unbelief. Amen. Hallelujah. We're people of Bible faith and we believe what God said. Now, um, this, these scriptures we've been reading here in Hebrews is referring back to Numbers 13 where this incident happened. And the Bible says this incident, this story was recorded for us so that we don't make the same mistakes those people made. We can, we can find out the mistakes they made ahead of time. Amen? And not repeat them. Hallelujah. There are people that would have quit and given up had they not heard this. But because they've heard it, they won't quit and give up now or in the future. Amen? Let's say, I will not be defeated and I will not quit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's turn uh, to Numbers 13 and let's look at some of this. Numbers 13. One of the benefits of us coming together in these meetings when we present ourselves before the Lord, we say, Lord, reveal any skepticism or hardness of heart in us. Change us. We're willing to change. And God will answer that prayer and chisel away any of this unbelief that has just suddenly crept 
into, uh, into our spirit. We're all familiar with this uh, incident in Numbers 13, but this is what Hebrews is telling us to watch out for. So the Spirit of God's going to reveal exactly what we need uh, to be on the lookout for and to realize, help us to realize when we're drawing back in unbelief and we need to stop it immediately. There are a lot of things uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 there could have talked about and told us to watch out for, but this, what happened in this story is what he told us we're to watch out for. It was the plan of God and the will of God for these specific people to go into this specific land at this specific time, and they failed to do so. It did not happen. They had already come through a lot of adversity and hardship, and they were very close. They were on the border. What happened? That's what we're going to look at. Verse 17 and 18. Um, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Get up this way southward, go up into the mountain, see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. Uh, these men, you know, we, we refer to them as spies, but they weren't really spies. They were church leaders, really. They were leaders of tribes, of the tribes of people. Uh, other translations say they were sent to explore the land. That's really a more accurate uh, description. They were sent to explore the land. Uh, they didn't know what was there. All they knew was this is the place that God had chosen for them. Uh, you know, when God tells you to go somewhere or he gives you instructions to do something, he usually does not tell you in advance about the giants that are going to be there. <laughs> you know, and that's what happened here uh, in Numbers. He said, go to the land, but he didn't tell them in advance there were giants there. And that's the way t God tends to operate. He doesn't tell us about the giants in advance. Um, so when the Lord gives us things and tells us to do something, he knows the problems are going to surprise us and challenge us. That's why we have to trust him. He doesn't show us the giants in advance. He doesn't show us the obstacles in advance on purpose. And this is why it pleases God. When these giants jump up in your face and you are not moved, it, that's the part of walking by faith that pleases God. God says, that's my son, that's my daughter. That's why the Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. It is a direct reflection of your love for God. You choose to believe him in spite of these giants that have just jumped up in your faith, in your face. So when everybody else is panicking and crying and drawing back, you stand up and you say, God has never let us down. He has always provided for us. He has, he has always come through for us, and he's going to come through this time. Amen? His word has not changed, and this is what pleases God. Amen? Hallelujah. So these men are sent with their instructions to see uh, what's out there and to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zen unto Rehob as men come to Hamath. 23. They came unto the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two upon a staff and they brought her the pomegranates and the figs. Verse 25, they returned from searching the land after 40 days. Verse 26, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron 
and to all the congregation uh, of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now you know after these people were born in slavery, they had never owned any personal property. They had never had anything. Uh, you know the anticipation and the expectancy was high among all these people. They couldn't wait till these people, till these men came back. You know, they were checking the calendar. How many more days before these men come back and tell us about the land? They, they were excited. They had high expectation. Now they can own their own property. You know, now they can have their own house and they can have their own farm and grow their own crops, and it's theirs, it's not somebody else's. So you know that they were pumped up, waiting for these men to return, and now they are going to get an eyewitness account. And when they saw the size of those grapes and uh, pomegranates and so forth, you know that the, uh, began to spread through the crowd, you know, did you see the size of those grapes they brought back? You know, so, so um, the, their, expect, their expectancy level was high. Verse 27, and they uh, told him and said, We came unto the land, whether thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Verse 28, nevertheless, what does that word mean in today's English? Nevertheless, but today we wouldn't say nevertheless, we would say but. The way you say it here in England, this is where everything started to go pear-shaped. That's the way you say it in England. Yes, the land was flows with milk and honey, but. <laughs> and this is where everything began to go pear-shaped. Yes, I know God can heal, but yes, I know God got people out of debt in the Bible, but this is where, you know, people will say, well, if it's God's will, it will happen. When God gets ready to do something, uh, he's going to do it. I don't care what anybody does. Folks, this is not true. It did not happen for these people. It was God's will for them to go into this land, and it never happened. What happened? Now, it's true. Uh, things like end-time events, things like the rapture and the second coming of Jesus, and Jesus' defeat of the Antichrist, these things are going to happen, and God's kingdom is going to be established. I don't care what anybody believes about it. There's no personal faith involved. That's part of God's timeline. But where our individual lives are concerned, our faith is involved in it coming to pass. It's not all up to God. The plan of God for these people was thwarted by what? Unbelief. That's what we're talking about. It, it, it was ultimately fulfilled in the next generation, so we know it was possible to take that land because the second generation took it. We know it was possible. Verse 28, Nevertheless, but the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, um, this is something, uh, you know, we need to watch out for. As soon as you recognize yourself saying, uh, you know, you read something in the Bible, uh, you know, you don't, you're first, after you've seen God do all these things over and over and over, and he's come through, uh, and somebody says, you know, well, this is what the word says, 
We're not supposed to say, yeah, but. That should not be our first response. Yeah, but. Something else here that we need to look at. They start talking about the giants and the walled cities. When people start yielding to unbelief, they begin to exaggerate the situation. This is one of the signs that people are in unbelief. They begin to exaggerate the situation. These aren't just regular walls. These are walls like you have never seen. These are not just regular giants. These are Anak giants. I mean, they're twice the size of a regular giants. These are not your ordinary giants. These are special giants. What do people say today? My arthritis is the worst kind you can have. Mine is so bad, they want me to go to the professor and he only sees the worst kind. That's what people say today. They got a special kind of arthritis, you know? You know, uh, it's not just the flu. The doctor said, I got the worst case he's seen all year. People begin to exaggerate their situation. And the more these people talked about how big the giants were, the bigger the giants got. The more they talked about high, how high the walls were, the higher the walls got. And God got smaller and smaller and smaller. And they're magnifying the devil. And God is, gets smaller. And what's happening to their faith? It's going down the drain as they speak. In a matter of minutes, folks, their faith went down the drain. Self-pity sets in. They start feeling sorry for themselves. Uh, it may be a fact you have arthritis. It may be a fact you have the flu. It may be a fact you have fibromyalgia or whatever, but it's not the truth. It's a fact there were giants. It's a fact there were walled cities. But they went on and on and on about the giants for the entire rest of this chapter. And Joshua and Caleb couldn't get a, a word in edgewise about what God could do. Amen? And even though they went on and on about these giants, it didn't change what God said about going into the land. And this is where they something else started happening. The blame game started. Verse 14, and, uh, chapter 14, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Folks, these are supposed to be church leaders. These are supposed to be warriors. And they're sitting in their tent crying and whining and feeling sorry for themselves. It's the preacher's fault we're in this mess. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Excuse me, as I recall, they begged God to get them out of there. Nobody forced them to leave Egypt. They didn't have to leave there. They could have stayed there. And they're saying, Moses dragged us out here just to kill us. That Moses, who does he think he is anyway? Dragging us out here in this wilderness. Peter, you look like you've lost 15 pounds since you've been out here in this wilderness. And it's Moses' fault that you're out here. All we've had is manna porridge. Manna Yorkshire pudding, <laughs> manna casserole, manna pie, manna cake, and manna crumble. And we're sick of it. And it's all Moses' fault. It's been three months since we had a roast dinner. And it's all Moses' fault. Even in Egypt, we had a cup of tea. We haven't even had a cup of tea in three weeks. It's, it's all Moses' fault. If we, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we can have a cup of tea. We had tea in Egypt. Amen? Now that's what these people were doing. 
That's what they were doing. How quickly, how short-term people's memories are. How short-term people's memories are. And how unthankful they quickly became. For the first time in their lives, they are free people. For the first time in their lives, they've got money in their pocket. Canaan land is right there. Houses they did not build, wells they did not dig, vineyards they did not plant. And when the ten preachers brought back a report that was contrary to what God said, it was an evil report and it was disrespectful of God. Jesus said, an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But when you take God at his word, you honor God and believe God. And this is uh, what Hebrews 11:6 is talking about, faith that pleases and honors God. And when you hear someone say, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, what's the next word they're going to say? Yeah. I know that's what the Bible says, but what if? I know the Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed, but. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, it says he supplies all of our needs, but what if? Is that okay? Folks, from this point on, this is where these people's lives went off the rails. They were doing really good till they got to this point and they said, we know we've seen the fruit, but that's where they began to go off the rails. This kind of talk is dangerous, and this is where they missed out on what they were supposed to have in this life and what they were supposed to be doing. Let's say this again. I am not of them who draw back in unbelief. Amen. Uh, Hebrews 13, 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land the cities are walled and very great. And we saw the children of Anak. <laughs> Anak giants. What are they doing? They're magnifying the situation. They're reverencing the enemy. Anak giants. What do people say today? They have zombie, zombie disease. You know, that's incurable. That is serious. We need 750,000 pounds. Magnifying the situation, magnifying the enemy, as far as they were concerned, they were already defeated. Unbelief is contagious. This evil report went through that crowd like wildfire, and the result was rebellion. Joshua and Caleb, what'd they do? They just kept talking faith. Amen? That's what we gotta do. We gotta keep talking faith. We gotta keep talking faith like David did. Amen? You remember the story of David? He was sent to his father, uh, sent by his father to his brothers. You know, they were out on the battlefield fighting the Philistines, and David's father sent him with them, uh, to them with some food, uh, you know, to bless them and to find out what's happening. And David comes up out there and says, um, Hey guys, I brought you some uh, good stuff here. I got some Winsleydale cheese and some double Gloucester and some red Leicester. There's pumpernickel bread in there and a white bloomer and everything you like. Daddy sent it out here just for you. Um, what's going on? You know, seems a bit quiet out here. Uh, how's the fighting going? You know, they said, uh, 
Oh, there's not any fighting going on. Oh, really? No fighting, huh? Um, isn't that the Philistines right over there? <laughs> uh, how come there's no fighting? Haven't, haven't you been out here for six weeks? Uh, yeah, we've been out here for six weeks, but no fighting, huh? Well, I came out here expecting to see, you know, swords flying and real action. Uh, what have you been doing for out here for six weeks? And they said, have you seen Goliath? <laughs> Goliath? Uh, what's Goliath? Shh. He's right over there. He might hear you. Be quiet. You don't want to upset him. Uh, have you? He's, they say he's 10 feet tall. But he's really 15 feet tall. We've seen him. He's really 15 feet tall. Uh, we heard on the internet that he killed 10 people in a supermarket just the other week just because they didn't like the way, he didn't like the way they looked at him. He is a mean, mean dude. I mean, you have never seen anybody like this Goliath. What are they doing? They are magnifying the enemy. They are magnifying the enemy. When people are in unbelief, they begin to exaggerate the, situa the situation. He's not 10 feet tall, he's 15 feet tall. And do you know his spear weighs 20 pounds? It would take two of us just to lift his spear. And that's, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're facing. And they've been talking like this for six weeks. Faith comes by hearing and fear comes by hearing. The more they talk fear, the bigger and meaner Goliath gets. And they've come to the point now they're hiding in the ditches and they're afraid to even stick their head up. <clears throat> this is what happened. It's a fact Goliath was big. It's a fact cancer is bigger than a headache. It's a fact 750,000 pounds is more than 100 pounds. But when you start praising and magnifying how big it is and how hard it is, this is not the environment for faith and miracles to work in. According to David's faith, compared to our God, nobody is bigger than our God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If God be for you, what does the rest of that verse say? Who can be against you? Amen. That's it. All this talk about how big and bad Goliath was, it did not impress David. David was not impressed with how big and bad Goliath was. What provoked David? What got him really fired up? When they told him Goliath cursed God. That's what got him fighting mad. They've been out here, you know, what's been happening? Oh, he, he comes out right over there every day and he walks back and forth for 30 minutes and he curses God. And he calls our mothers bad names too. He calls our mothers nasty names and he, call, he curses God. And David said, he curses God and you haven't done anything? For six weeks, you have let him curse our God out there every day and you have done nothing? Now this is what really, really got him. He didn't care, he didn't care how tall he was or uh, the fact that he was a warrior since he was 12 years old. What got Dave, David fighting mad? He has cursed our God. He didn't care what he called his mother. <laughs> is, is, is he cursed our God? That's what got David fired up, fighting mad. What did David say? 
who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He refused to even say the word giant. He wouldn't even acknowledge him as a giant. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. What does that mean? A no covenant, nobody. He's a no covenant, nobody. The ten leaders in the wilderness, what if, the, if they had not spent all their time trying to convince the people how big these giants were and how high the wall cities were, this would be a different story. When we come together in faith, expecting to hear and receive from God, it's easy for us to sit here and see where these people obviously went wrong. It's easy for us to sit here and, and see that because we're open to the word, we, we, we're hungry for the word, and, and we want to, to know. It's easy for us to say, how could they do it? But millions are doing it every day, even church people. I know that's what the Bible says. I've listened to all of Brother Hagin's CDs. I've read all of Brother Hagin's books. I know all about faith. I know that's what the Bible says. But, yeah. I've been to the conventions. This is different. You just don't understand. This is serious. We're going to need some other things besides faith. Like what other things are we going to need? <laughs> what else do we need besides the name of Jesus? What else do we need besides the blood of Jesus and the finished work of Christ? What else is required? <clears throat> faith shows up fear and unbelief. And this is what happened out there with David. When he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God, it made his brothers mad. Now what did I say? People who want to stay in unbelief find people of faith unbearable. They found David to be unbearable. And, uh, you know, they said, who are you, little squirt? You come out here with all this big talk. You know, you, you're not the one that has to go fight him. And David said, I will go fight him. And he said, by the way, tell me, what do I get if I kill him? What does any, whoever kills this Goliath, what do they get? What's their reward? And they said, well, he gets the, the king's daughter, and she's pretty, and you never have to pay taxes again. And when David heard this, he said, I am your man. <laughs> he said, this is a no-brainer if I ever heard one. A covenant man against a no-covenant man? No-brainer. I'm your man. I'll go do it. And faith, faith is contagious. Faith began to affect his brothers. And they began to open up. And they said, maybe we should take him to the king. Maybe Saul needs to hear what this boy has to say. So they took him to the king. And he said, go. Now, folks, we're not talking about half-hearted confessions and just, you know, reading some scripture just by memory. And we're talking about faith that comes from the heart. You really believe it. You really are convinced. It's dangerous to the devil, and it begins to influence other people for good. It begins to affect their faith. It begins, faith begins to rise up on the inside of them. Other people begin to say, we can do this. What if, what if those leaders had, had been talking about that? What if all ten of them had been talking like Joshua and Caleb? This would have been a different story. So David comes up out there, and Goliath is insulted. 
He's insulted. He said, who is this kid with a stick? And he, the Bible says he cursed uh, David. It was an insult. He said, you send a kid out here with a stick? Am I a dog? You know, he, he was this big, trained, mighty warrior, and he was insulted that this kid comes out there with a stick. And he, he, he cursed David. He said, I'm going to feed your little carcass to the birds. The giants and circumstances of life will talk to you. Goliath's going to talk to you. You've got to talk back. Amen? And David did talk back to him. David called things that are not as though they were. He told him exactly what he was going to do to him and exactly how he was going to do it. Now this is where a lot of people who have stepped out in faith and who have believed God, uh, they start to listen to these threatening words and looking at the circumstances and they begin to wobble. Now what if David had gone up out there, he comes up out there to, to Goliath, and he's all full of faith, and he's standing there, and the more he looks at Goliath, the bigger he gets. <laughs> and he says, you know, I think he really is 15 feet tall, you know? He's not just 10. You were right, he really is 15 feet tall, you know? I mean, he looks pretty mean to me, you know. Uh, people today would say, you know, 750,000 pounds, that really is a lot of money. Uh, didn't the doctor say this is incurable? This is where people began. They start listening to words and they start looking at the circumstances and the flesh is real, and we have to deal with it. What you see is real, what you feel is real, and if you get back in the flesh, you're going to be in trouble. So this is why we stay in the Word, we stay with what we believe, and we talk with what we believe. David said, you come at me with your big threats, you come at me with your big spear, you come at me with your big shield, but I come at you in the name of the God of Israel, the God of the universe. And he said, I'm going to take your head off and feed it to the birds. And he took that sling, which represents your mouth, and he took that rock, which represents the word of God, and he threw it at Goliath. And when he released that thing, the power of God was behind that rock. He didn't just naturally throw that rock. The power of God was behind that rock and it hit him like a bullet. And he, he went down. The anointing of God was on him and fear began to ripple through the Philistines when they saw their champion was dead. Faith began to ripple through the army of Israel when they saw Goliath was dead and they chased them all the way back to Goliath's hometown of Gath. And folks, when other people see your victory, this is why the devil works so hard at trying to get you to give up. Because when other people see your victory, it's going to inspire them, it's going to motivate them, they're going to say, yes, we can do it, I'm not giving up, and it will begin to spark off one faith victory after another. It's going to influence a lot of other people. And that's why the devil works so hard on individuals to try to give them to give up. Some things have seemed long. Some things have seemed difficult and challenging. But do not be discouraged and do not be afraid. We have the same covenant with God. Amen? The same God. Israel thought that they couldn't defeat the Philistines because of what they were seeing and hearing. What was keeping them back? <clears throat> but when they saw what faith could do, everybody got inspired. Amen? And so this is why it's so important we maintain our faith and we don't let the devil move us 
because our victory is going to spark off a lot of other faith victories for other people. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's say this together. We are not of them who draw back. Unbelief is my enemy. God hates unbelief. I will not tolerate unbelief in my life. We are of them that believe. God loves faith. We love faith. I will not be moved by what I see. I will not talk negative. I will not blame others. I will not look back. I will not put pressure on other people. I will not be afraid. I will respond in faith, not in unbelief. Amen.